1: Is there a more equitable and wholesome structure to the capitalist model, where you can cycle capital through the system via charities and via charitable outcomes the most disadvantaged people? The reason a company exists is to further the interests of a shareholder. But it doesn't really make sense at a broader scale, which is companies doing often some of the most atrocious things in order to uphold the interests of shareholders. And they say, well, what, you know, what happens if people copy you? It's like, what happens if people copy us? That would be the best outcome ever. If the whole of the ticketing industry was to copy us, that would be billions of dollars every single year from booking fees, going into the world's best children's charities. What an amazing outcome. That's the whole point.
2: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amr Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple, it's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid, subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired keep evolving welcome back to the inspired evolution and we have with us today someone inspiring our evolution adam mccurdy adam how are you there brother
1: oh very good thanks how are you thanks for having me i'm
2: so good man and it is such a pleasure to have you on i'm better for having you here i have to say for those that don't know adam Hold your horses for just two seconds. Let me do the honours. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Humanitix, which actually I, before researching for this podcast, I've come across Humanitix many times, but I actually didn't know so much about the business model that was actually employed behind it. We're going to dive in a little bit today. It's actually really interesting what you guys are up to in the world. You're a world-leading social enterprise disrupting the multi-billion dollar events ticketing industry, and you're actually funding well, maybe I should hear from you what the cause is that you guys are funding through selling tickets to events online. What do you guys, what, what,
1: what? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, there's actually two points of impact for Humanitix. One is through our the giving that we do from our own profits. We give away 100% of our profits to the world's best kids' education charities. That's both here in Australia, America, developing countries, all around the world. Uh, and on top of that, Our technology itself makes live events more accessible for patrons with disabilities such that social inclusion for everyone that needs accessible things at events can now be improved significantly.
2: I love that. Now, let's start with the first point. Why do you donate 100% of your profits? What, like, you don't want to be rich? (laughs) 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 it sounds like we've gone through
1: similar paths yeah i i'm an engineer and a mathematician by training uh i love maths i love sciences i love building things and i came to the realization that there are a lot of very difficult and profitable problems to solve with maths and engineering that kind of stuff um that is hollow and empty and doesn't really do much for one soul. Uh, and so my ambition was to try to work out how I could combine the two, uh, where you're building things, creating things, doing things for some awesome higher purpose that genuinely picks up a big responsibility for the planet and makes a genuine huge contribution back to society. And so in doing that, I was then looking at ways in which there's not just products themselves that can be built to further and make a contribution to society, but potential tweaks to capitalism and business that can then be even more scalable to then make huge impacts of just rethinking how business is done. And in that, I teamed up with a best friend, Josh Ross. We've known each other now for 15 odd years. Uh, He went, you know, he was going down the finance path. I was going down more the engineering path and he very similarly had you know the same kinds of issues with wanting to uh, further his career, build skills, solve challenging problems, but also make a contribution to society because that's how we all get along together much better. And it also personally just feeds your soul and nourishes your soul that much more. And so, I'll, I'll pause there.
0: <laughs> no, 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 keep pathetic. going, don't keep
2: going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. us more because, because at some point, you like you and Josh are just best mates, mate. Like you guys shared a salary for like 16 months like what the actual
1: that's it exactly it's the most wild wacky awesome how do you share a salary i don't even understand
2: can you describe to me like you and josh's relationship how you guys like where did you first meet and then how did you go into business together and how are you sure yeah
1: with pleasure i'll give you the context i mean Um, We were both working in our jobs and and looking to to kind of really do do something else, like I was describing, where you're providing that contribution back to society. Social enterprise really became super interesting to both of us. So that's where you can run a business, and the business, either through what it does or through giving away its profits, sometimes some of its profits, sometimes all of its profits, can then further a purpose, often in a charitable domain, like where you're giving all your money to charity, etc., whilst running a sustainable business. And that was really exciting. But what we were seeing was that all of these social enterprises, whether they be beautiful cafes or brands like Thank You, or you know, their soaps or now who gives a crap, who give away 50% of profits from toilet paper. All of that is in fast-moving consumer goods, which are you know can often be great businesses. But what about software as a service? What about software? This software right here that we're using to run this podcast, there's businesses out there that are, Distributed through the internet are immediately scalable globally are making huge amounts of profits and we 're not seeing any social enterprises emerge
2: in that space
1: in that space and so then the question became what would be a really cool software as a service social enterprise to give a go and see whether or not we could we could tackle that and so that 's where it all began so that 's where the two of us started talking more and more in depth to be honest I think if it wasn't for my relationship then Chats with Josh, and, you know, vice versa. I don't think I would have made the step, made the you know, the courageous step to go and try humanities. It was being able to talk with a close friend about how I'm feeling, what I want to do with my career, what I want to start to experiment, and what the things that I'm most interested in are, and being able to share that openly without keeping it in my own head uh, was huge and transformational for me in terms of making that first step. So, so. No, sorry, I, sorry, go
2: on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so then what happened was, is uh, it kind of got more and more serious. I was like, all right, are we going to do this or, or what? So then I, uh, with, with my engineering background, et cetera, decided, let me leave my job, give up my salary uh, and go in full time to start to investigate what software businesses we could perhaps disrupt with a social enterprise model. To do this would require a full-time effort. We had a few loose ideas of what we could be doing, but not a very clear plan and not a very clear idea of which kind of business and how we would go about that. And that. So there was an option there. The two of us could have both left our jobs, given up our salaries, and then both of us, you know, diving in full-time, go, uh, you know, delving into our savings to keep ourselves afloat. Um, but we thought to ourselves, well, look, what if we're, a bit smarter than that. What if we can depend and rely on the trust of our relationship and our partnership to make it work both ways? And in that, it was like, okay, here's a plan. Okay, Adam, I'm going to, so me, I'm going to give up my salary, leave my job, put my traditional career on hold to focus full time on what would become humanetics and finding out what we do. And at the same time, Josh would then stay in his job so that he would continue to earn a salary. And then we would simply split his salary because I'm no longer earning a salary. But now because he's still working, we can now both earn something while simultaneously giving this business a shot and giving it a go. And that's how it all started with just wanting to, wanting to team up to hedge our bets and hedge our risks of, of earning an income whilst giving a, a new venture uh, you know, a go
2: Man, <laughs> just because I find it like sometimes it's hard enough having the conversation with your spouse for some people about like, hey, I want to start this business venture <laughs> and then here you are trusting your best mate Um to, yeah, basically, hey, let's split your salary while I go and double down on the business that we're both going to co-own, co-found together. Um, Mate, that's a really awesome, awesome story. Um Just, yeah, every time I hear it, I love it even more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was, a crazy, crazy enough, there was no paperwork. There was no, you know, signed agreement. It was just, let's give this a go for six to 12 months, try our best, see what happens, on a handshake, and off we went. And, and that's exactly what happened. So we ended up sharing a salary for about 16 months in total. And it was during, you know, in the first few months that I then discovered events ticketing. So there's this whole industry of events ticketing. Yeah, how did you pick event- that
2: as the one you wanted to disrupt? Yeah, like, yeah.
1: Have you ever bought a ticket to an event and got slapped with some ridiculous booking fee that you question how much they're charging? And ticketing, you're even seeing now with what's happened with Taylor Swift, you know, kind of the more headline pieces that are coming out with people's dismay of the ticketing industry. Um, what an awesome industry to potentially disrupt with a social enterprise model that makes the ticketing industry nonprofit. What a beautiful fit, because then you have a nonprofit coming in with the intentions of society in mind to make things fair for artists, fair for guests, attendees, and then on top of that, donating away 100% of any profits that the organization makes to the world's best charities. Um, that could be a really cool and unique combination that's really, really compelling to the industry. And so with that, we started to look at, you know, how do we how do we get set up? So then I started to look at, how do we start to offer an events registration platform to the smaller, um, more simple events? So things like um, paint and sip classes, art classes, yoga retreats, meditation retreats, things where you're talking about, you know, maybe... 10 to 100 people gathering on a night or a weekend where the ticketing requirements are quite basic and then building from there into more complex events like conferences uh, music festivals schools marathons walkathons summits awards nights gala dinners you know you name it uh, and now going more into venues and that kind of thing and that's so starting small and then building out the sophistication and the complexity of the platform to over time start to offer humanities as a compelling switch over the ticketing provider that the event organizer is currently using. And it was in at the point of sixteen months that we'd put together a really great ticketing platform that was starting to get phenomenal traction both Josh and I were still bootstrapping the organization where we were funding all of its development and and ourselves. Josh was still at his job. But then at 16 months, it got to the stage where I can't personally continue to, you know, handle everything that's happening now. And like this thing is not, it's not yet a success, but it's very, very promising where we've got to I need we've help. Got, yeah. We've got maybe a hundred clients who are using us. They're happy. We want to keep improving the product, all these kinds of things. And so it was at that moment that Josh left his job and joined me full-time on Humanitix. And the two of us continued to then bootstrap the development of Humanitix from our own savings. And then it was only... Four or five months after that, that we then started to raise money for Humanitix. But it was incredibly difficult to raise money for Humanitix because our, our intention and what we ended up achieving was that Humanitix would be, in essence, it would be a non-profit. It's actually a registered charity. And when you make an organization a non-profit or a registered charity, it means that there is no equity. So you can't go to a venture capitalist and say, you know, give us $100,000 for 10% of the company because there is no equity to trade. And so because of that, we had to go to high net worth, often individuals and foundations to say, if this charity works, if this nonprofit works, if you give us money to support our growth and development now, the point is we won't have to come back to you for more money in the future because the idea behind humanities is that The revenue model and the booking fees fund the business and make a profit that then is given to the most effective frontline charities we can find, which if it works, is going to make a lever on the money that you're giving us. We're going to multiply the money you're giving us, and we're not going to have to come back to you for more money. Now, that all makes sense in theory, and now that it's working really, really well, I mean, We've we've now, as of next month, we're going to give away another tranche of money, and that will put put us over four and a half million dollars, close to five million dollars in total that we've just given away from company profit since, Um, and that's growing dramatically. Uh, You know that makes sense now because it's working, but back then, you know, you're you're telling a philanthropist, give donate to our ticketing platform, please, because (laughs) you know (laughs) if this works, it'll be great, and that is a very very tough sell. Not a lot of people are interested in taking a punt on such a, a wacky, different, out there idea, particularly in the realm of non profit and, and charity work.
2: Yeah, it's hard enough to get seed capital when, <laughs> when you don't have a wacky idea, <laughs> let alone, yeah, think out the box thinking that you're demonstrating. Yeah, go on.
1: That's right. And so eventually we found a small handful of phenomenal Australian philanthropists who said, this is cool. This makes sense. I back you guys. Let's um, you know, give you money. So they gave us money and that allowed us to start to hire a, a more robust engineering and product team, knowing that the path to our success is a platform where the technology and the value proposition that we're offering event organizers is not just more socially impactful because we're the only ticketing platform giving away profits to charity, but that it's actually better. It's got more features. It'll help you sell tickets better, more easily. It'll help you sell more tickets. And on top of that, the booking fees will be lower than what you're currently paying. And all the profits from booking fees are going to children's charities. We had to make the biggest no-brainer value proposition to event organizers as our path to success. And that was always the strategy from day one.
2: The bit that really gets me there's so much in there. There's so much that gets me. But one of the bits that gets me is when you're asking investors to invest in your business as well, you're actually not asking them to. Because investors are usually ROIing, right? And they're sort of holding out over a certain period. Whereas this is like an investment in a gift, they're donating money to you as a charity that will keep on charitying. This is venture philanthropy. <laughs> exactly.
1: <Right. laughs> got it. Exactly. This, this is, is so trippy.
2: This is so trippy. Is this like has this been modelled out before for you to model or like where like have you heard of venture ph- philanthropy before? Or are you guys just no kind of crazy? We made it up. <laughs> <laughs> we, just,
1: we made it up, and you've got it. That's exactly what it is. It's venture philanthropy. And the biggest group that leaned into this concept was the Atlassian Foundation. It's the foundation of uh, Mike cannon brooks and Scott Farquhar's uh, company, Atlassian, mm-hmm. and they have a huge foundation. And their head of foundation, Mark Reading, um, was thankfully an ex-partner um, at a big accounting finance firm, and so he's now running the foundation. You know, the foundation's giving away money to the best charities that they can find. And we pitched to the foundation and pitched to Mark, and he straightaway got it. He said, oh, my God, based on your current success and where you're taking the business, and I can see what you're doing here, the Atlassian Foundation is going to give you a once-off grant. And if this all works out, the, the impact that's going to be made, the amount of money that's going to be going to charities that we'd want to be donating to anyway is going to be 10, 20, 100 times what this grant is right now. This is amazing. Plus, the more humaniticsers that start to succeed in the world, the more likelihood that other people will be inspired to create a humanitics in another industry, which is then the other multiple on this whole concept. And honestly, that's one of the things we're, we're focused on this year and, and next, which is sharing as much as we can of how we built humanitics in the way that we did as a nonprofit, as a registered charity and having a playbook for people to lean into and learn from and follow, because the idea is that people copy what we've done. Please, please, please copy us. It's the the beautiful tweak on capitalism that we've done here, where when we started pitching to philanthropists at the beginning, it's funny because everyone puts their business hat on when they were, you know, assessing our business and whether or not they wanted to give us money. And they said, well, what, what happens if people copy you? It's like, what happens if people copy us? That would be the best outcome ever. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> if everyone was to copy us, if the whole of the ticketing industry was to copy us, and that would be the worst thing that could happen, that would be billions of dollars every single year from booking fees going into the world's best children's charities. Like, what an amazing outcome for your tiny <laughs> graph. That's the whole point. And so it's really getting cool and interesting and exciting as, you, as we're playing with these concepts and tweaking capitalism because it is a very, very powerful driver of a lot of things. And what we're experimenting with here, and I've found amazing results, is tweaking it and playing with it, there's just way more to it than, than the traditional format of capitalism. And, and avoiding, I think, getting, avoiding the conversation of, you know, is capitalism good or bad? Should capitalism just be scrapped? All? I, I, personally, I think that's too, that's too blunt of an instrument yeah to, too to have that brush. Conversation. Yeah. exactly it's it's the question is the form in which capitalism is adopted, and that is what we're experimenting and playing with at humanities
2: So you've exchanged shareholders for children in need of education in developing places exactly is it really just that simple
1: it's exactly it's really that simple because. The business runs exactly the same as any other business, which is build build a great product, offer a compelling value proposition to your clients that make them want to use your product, have a competitive price, service the hell out of your clients so that they love using your product, which makes the business more profitable. And then the last piece is rather than those profits going into shareholders' pockets, those profits go into the world's most disadvantaged kids via the most impactful children's charities that we can find.
2: Talent retention, Adam. <laughs> For people like yourself and myself, a bit disillusioned by um, what's going on in the corporate world. Yeah, there's a lot of meaning now that you don't have stakeholders in the mix in your. St- The engineers in well working on the working on the software and the platform. It's
1: it's been fascinating. Um, we I mean there are a lot of people who are disillusioned, like you mentioned, who who something like a humanities is incredibly refreshing and a no brainer, and it's like oh my god yes, I, you know, software, it's business, it's clients, it's you know that whole world for this awesome scalable. Social impact that is real and tangible and meaningful. Wow, sign me up. But then, what's most interesting to me is that it turns out that even with people who aren't that disillusioned, it turns out that it's just the vast, vast, vast majority of people want a meaningful career, want their skills to be valued, uh, want to work in a lovely, beautiful team. And to have skills be developed, be challenged, and all of that translate into something that they can be proud of. And that is what I'm learning. It's just almost a universal desire. It's just expressed in different ways. You know, some people will just totally just say, "Yeah, I'm over this. I'm crazy. Let me. I'm going to start a podcast." You <laughs> know, and, and others will will grapple with it in a different way, but. I'm convinced that, the, that that lies within everyone. That's what we're seeing at Humanities, And that's why our retention has just been insane. Um, and, you know, social impact doesn't just make a business. Just because you have a great social impact of a business doesn't mean you don't have a toxic work culture and all that kind of stuff. So we work very, very hard to make sure that the culture and everything is is just thriving, people's work is valued, all that kind of stuff. But... I tell you what, having the business built on a foundation, on a bedrock that is a legitimate, tangible contribution to society that's exciting, and innovative and new and growing, that is a huge help <laughs> to, the whole, to the whole situation.
2: Because when you look at the word humanities, you actually just, well, from the outside looking in the first time you come across it, because I've come across it plenty, it's just like, oh, yeah, tickets for people going in and out of places, Human, humans, like, you know, we're going to events. so humanitics, right? And then you start to realize after listening to you share that it's actually ticketing for humanity. <laughs> it's got a cause, not just baked into it, but actually driving it. Um, mate, you also won the Google Impact Award. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, so about it would have been two and a half, three years into our journey. We've you know continued to grow and scale, and the business is starting to donate more and more money from our profits into into charities, and clients are happy. Um, we the Google Impact Challenge came to Australia, and this is a challenge run by Google that searches for the most innovative social impactful socially impactful nonprofits using technology to create social impact and if you win they give you a million dollars and obviously our ears pricked up we applied and got through the first round and got through the second round and then we made the final 10 which is the final round and this culminated as um Myself going to the Google's head office in Sydney with nine other, you know, contestants, and you had to pitch in front of five or six judges of these high-profile judges, I and did. pitch your business. <laughs> okay. And it was the most insane format ever. It was nine. It was a ninety-second pitch, and literally at the ninetieth second. The red light goes on and you get yanked off the stage. You cannot say a word over 90 seconds. That is intense. Followed by three minutes of Q and A and that's it. And get up there, 90 seconds, three minutes of Q and A, use your time wisely and hope you win. And, and that's what happened. I got up there, thankfully it all went well of this rehearsed pitch. You know, there's a, there's a famous Mark Twain quote that says, uh, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long letter I didn't have time to write you a short one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Rambling on is easy, but trying to condense your message and everything into a 90, a second 90 thing, seconds. Well, it was like working day and night for, for weeks in the lead up to that. To, to I, can that. I can and imagine. And then trying to preempt the questions, you know, and but they all came out nicely and you know, answered the questions of how we're, we're doing what we're doing. And then, The announcement came up and the first winner was announced, Humanitix. And there we were, another million dollars of of cash, which allowed us to then rapidly accelerate, you know, the people we're hiring and then ultimately the product we're building and how we can service more and more event organisers around the world to use and switch to Humanitix from their current ticketing provider.
2: How did you pick, why did you pick education for disadvantaged children? Um, as your charity, you could have picked anything, I imagine. Um, and knowing you driven by impact, that's probably an interesting place. Yeah, tell us why you chose that. Yeah. A
1: few things. One is actually that's about to expand into a broader reach than just children's education, um, likely at the end or start of next year, which is a very exciting and development for us as we start to expand into new impact areas. Um, so we're not long-term solely focused on kids' education. The reason for kids' education is, uh, is varied. Um, one, the impact that you can create on mul- multi generational level by investing in quality education for any child on the planet is the research on that is just phenomenal. Um, that's both seen in you know countries like Australia as well as developing countries all around the world, and then in developing countries, it's specifically seen in the investment in female, women's education, where you're able to get now a culture of education coming through the home, all these kinds of things where education is valued, um, curiosity is valued. Uh, and so that the research on that is just immensely compelling. It has impacts on the environment, uh, it, and then it has this multi-generational impact that I, that I referenced. And so that as a starting point us, for us was just insanely compelling. We then were able to tap into resources on the back of the Atlassian Foundation, who also have a education focus. And we realized that they spend all of their time, effort and resources on finding the world's most impactful uh, education charities. We said, well, that's great, let's team up with them. And now we're taking independent guidance from this fantastic foundation, hiring exceptionally smart people to help us navigate who are those charity partners that we're donating to in the start of our journey. And then that's a very clever move because then we can optimize the impact that we're making via our donations because we're taking the guidance of, of the group like the Atlassian Foundation who's mm-hmm. doing the most amazing more resources in the
2: space. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that then allows us to free up our capital, our money, to spending on making the ticketing platform better, winning more event hosts, and ultimately making the profit, which grows the pie that we can then direct via the consultation of groups like the Atlassian Foundation and then after that others. Noting that sharing of information in the philanthropy sector, in, in charities and nonprofits, that's the name of the game. That's how everybody wins um, because if you know – of a phenomenal charity that's doing the most amazing work, and it's evidence backed and it's researched, etc. It's not in your interest to keep that a secret. You want to tell the world, <laughs> and so that was a very cool dynamic of the nonprofit sector that we've that we've tapped into, and we're looking to flourish that and help collaboration be much more a part of the nonprofit sector, which I think is a whole other impact in in and of itself. Well. Wow.
2: So is this limited to, well, is the model limited? Like you said initially, we hadn't seen it in SAS before. Is it available to, let's just take the Inspired Evolution for an example. It's a personal development company with a podcast. Can anybody set themselves up as a charity and then turn their business profits into Charitable donationable incomes, like, is it limited to yes. certain industries? Wow. Well, okay. No. Yes, and, 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 Everyone can do and it. unequivocal. And, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, and you know what? The the most amazing thing happened earlier this year, uh, or no, maybe at the end of last year. Is Patagonia, the outdoor clothing brand, yeah. officially changed from a for profit to a non profit? That's exactly what you're talking about. So they have scrapped. There is no more equity in the business. They are now a non-profit and now completely able to progress with their benevolent mission, um, which is awesome. The challenge in transforming a for-profit company into a non-profit is pissing off your shareholders. So you have to have <laughs> shareholders that are willing to give up their equity for the sake of the transformation of the company to go into a non-profit. That's the challenge. That's what would you know stop the vast majority of companies from making the switch to a non-profit and starting to give away their profits to charity, etc., in the same way that Humanitix does.
2: Do you have any concerns that you don't have any equity in humanities? Does that ever cross your mind?
1: In the early days, I had concerns because I thought it would stop us from raising the money that we needed to raise to build the platform um, that would, that would you know allow us to succeed. But now that we've achieved that, no, um, it is the most freeing thing ever. I don't have, we don't have shareholders who are um, uh, looking to, you know, pass the bag and get the, get their exit. And so, what what do they do? They they hammer you for short term, unsustainable growth so that they can pass the bag to somebody else and sell their shares and get their exit. And then all these shareholders looking to do the same thing and just kind of get their multiple and pass the bag. And we don't have to deal with any of that. And so. I, the fact that we don't have equity, there's no shareholders, um, frees humanitics up to really move in the in the direction and the purpose that we've been set up to 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 be good to to achieve. Um, on a personal level, there's huge amounts of money that has been taken off the table for myself and Josh because, as a founder, you know of any company, you, you would own a significant amount of equity that once the company becomes successful, you then get to sell that equity and make huge amounts of money. That is not an option and not a possibility for myself and Josh. And so there's been huge personal sacrifice, but that's the whole point of why we've set this up. This is this is an experiment. This is a, a scratching an itch of curiosity of how we can do things better. And I have no regrets. I would not have it any other way.
2: Even just hearing about your relationship with Atlasian um and just how yeah, just how supportive um, you know, just having someone else do the research for where you wanted to invest and just freeing up, like you said, just just us doing what we do, which is ticketing like a boss, (laughs) just doing it really well, making it better, making it more like the user interface, more lush, and just, you know, just dedicating ourselves to making it more cost-effective, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Do you think if you hadn't set up the model the way that it was, and this is sort of like a left-field question, um, how much is the model also responsible for your success as well? Um, Because people could see that you wanted to give back and they also wanted to give back into you guys to give back more venture philanthropy.
1: <laughs> great question it's it's a combination and there are a handful of people that will switch to a more ethical brand or a more ethical product mm-hmm. purely on the basics basis of it being more socially impactful um, but to make any product including humanities scale and really achieve the impact that it can you have to also offer a phenomenally high-quality product, something that rivals all of its competitors, come in at a super competitive price point, something that rivals all of its competitors, offer better service than all of your competitors, and make the thing a complete no-brainer. Then it has the true capability to scale, because then you're, you're no longer fishing amongst a small group of people that are particularly ethically-minded, of which there are a nice pool of people there, but then you're also capturing people that are caring about price, caring about product, caring about service, caring about all these other aspects of a business that you can then capture as well on your own merit, on those terms. And that is, that is key to our, um, our philosophy in creating humanitics and what's, I think, made us so successful, which is what we do on our social impact by giving away our profits to charity is incredibly unique and something that I hope a lot of of our competitors start to copy, but none of them do. None of them do it at this moment. And so that's incredibly unique. That's beautiful. But if we rely on that as the sole reason why event organizers are switching to humanitics, it won't be successful. We will lose. Because eventually event organizers will say, you know what? Like, that's beautiful. You guys donate all your profits away. But I have to go to a better ticketing platform. I have to, mm. you know, there's, there's key features. for my conference that, yes, of course. Exactly. You know, I've got a, I've got, uh, I'm selling $25 million in tickets. I've got 40,000 people coming through the door in the space of four hours. I need great technology that's going to allow my business to process that amount of money, to offer the features and the options to my, to my guests that I want to offer to on the gate on the day process everyone through so you don't have these long lines of forty thousand people in a disaster like there's so much at stake when you're the ticketing platform there's no i'm sorry the platform went down although that yeah <laughs> that does happen even with the biggest players which is mind-blowing um th- there is no i'm sorry so you have to come to the table with a compelling value proposition and a compelling product and, a, and, and something that truly stands on its own, on its own merit, independent of us donating all of our profits away, would people switch to humanities anyway? And if that is, if the answer to that question is yes, wow, now you've got a wicked combo. And that's what we've created at humanities
2: I love that. Thank you so much for just, yeah, highlighting how important quality really is when you're delivering um, anything to the market as well. So, the key thing in there circling back if someone was curious about how to potentially set up themselves as a charity or to pivot what they've currently got as a charity um how would they do that utilitarianly like functionally how do you actually go about doing something like that like is there a particular type of charity that you set up um and then also any pitfalls any words of advice any yeah
1: Sure, I mean there's a few options, and ultimately what you would do is work with uh, both an accountant and a lawyer to transform the company into a non nonprofit and then a charity. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of basic steps. One would be to change the, the, the establishment of the company from maybe being uh, you know a company that's a PTY LTD into a company that is what's called a uh, company limited by guarantee. So that's why you have Humanitix Limited. And so that is the most common base organizational structure for a charity or a non-profit. After you've set yourself up as a a company limited by guarantee, you would then go through your charity registration. Going through a charity registration then uh, requires you to create um, basically a constitution, a founding document of your charity. And it lists out out your charitable objectives and how members work and how the board works and how voting works. And so that is a standard charitable document that then governs the the way that the the charity operates. And then you would um, apply with in Australia, the ACNC, which is Australian Nonprofit and Charities Commission here in Australia. And then that would officially make you as a charity. But those, that's at the highest level, the basics of that. You know, choosing your charitable objectives is a challenging but very fun uh, exercise of, you know, what, what impact do you want to be making. Yeah. Uh, and then the there's obviously on the accounting <laughs> side. Totally. <laughs> and then there's obviously the accounting side where you need to work with your accountant to, to you know, if there's any complexities of, you know, you you've taken investment from other people who own shares in your organisation, you know, you have to navigate that, uh, which I think would be in, you know, a custom thing based on the circumstances of the company.
2: Yeah, wow. I think it's inspiring to to feel just how accessible it is for everyone. Is your long-term vision, mission, um, what would you say is your mission in life um, and how does humanities fit into that?
1: Um, my mission in life is to allow both myself and, and uh, I guess society at large, to question in more detail and more depth how we do things and how we can do things better. And starting with business as being the biggest driver of how everyone works, plays, lives their life to me is a really cool, exciting place to, to make that impact. And questioning the driving force of a company as making its shareholders wealthy, as you know, the reason a company exists is to further the interests of a shareholder. That is really when you boil it down, why companies exist and even at the board level, where you have, uh, whether it be a listed board, so a company that's on the stock market, or, or a private company that has a board, particularly as a, a publicly traded company, the board has a responsibility to uphold the interests of shareholders. That is the board's job. They have one job, and it's that. Uphold the interests of the company's shareholders. And that makes sense. At one level where you have, okay, there's a, you're a shareholder and then you have a board that keeps your interests in mind, that keeps management and the company accountable for keeping the shareholder's interests in mind. That's how it's structured. Shareholders, board, company. And that kind of makes sense from a, from a monetary perspective, and particularly if you're a shareholder and wanting to make sure that the company's operating in your interest. But it doesn't really make sense at a broader scale, which is companies that are doing often some of the most atrocious things in order to uphold the interests of shareholders. And as you can see, it's just such a one, uh, it's it's such a a single lens, uh, such a short-term mindset, one-dimensional mindset, exactly, um, to look at business and the point of business and really the point of the board, which is the directors of the company. Their job is to uphold the shareholders' interest, And that, to me, is crazy. Too one-dimensional. And that, ultimately, is what we're, testing and asking the question at humanities is like does does that even make sense does a company have to be set up solely to advance the interests of shareholders and can you even can we beat other companies that are set up to further the interests of shareholders like all of our competitors in the ticketing industry and beat them at their own game without shareholders driven by a totally different philosophy for a totally different outcome in our case providing as much funding from profit as we can to the world's best charities.
2: I won't ask you specifically about how you're beating the competition, but I will ask you (laughs) how you're going because you've gone from, well, was it to start in Sydney to start in Melbourne and then you've made your way to Denver, Colorado, and now you're in other places as well. Wait, what? <laughs> Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about how things are going <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, where the offices are and what that translates to um, as the impact that you guys are having as business growth?
1: So we started in Sydney, Australia uh, in 2016. And on the back of success here in Australia, we expanded into New Zealand and set up an office in Auckland. And we've got a great team over there. Um, we're doing ticketing all across New Zealand. And then a couple of years ago, we expanded into the U.S., setting up uh, an office in Denver, Colorado. We now have the most amazing, beautiful team in Denver. I was just there last month uh, with the team. I go back and forth all the time. And our growth across the U.S. now is incredibly exciting. By far, our, our biggest market and, and where we're most established is Australia. Um, but our growth and success in the U.S. is incredibly exciting. And... At the moment, we are currently establishing uh, an office and setting ourselves up in the UK, which is our next frontier for where we're, we're getting so much interest for our platform and event organizers wanting to switch and make the no-brainer switch to a platform like Humanitix for their events. And they're all based in the UK and we're very excited to be launching Humanitix UK before the end of the year.
2: Man, that is so inspiring. <laughs> in a day-to-day like you and josh do you guys still get to see each other a lot how does it actually go on a personal level like you guys are best mates but is he in a different office at a different time or do you guys still get to hang out with each other quite a bit how's it look
1: so we get to hang out with each other a lot it varies you know based on you know if i'm in colorado or he is in colorado uh, you know, etc but we get so much crossover i mean right now both of us are in sydney um we had dinner last night. It's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> and, awesome. Um we it's very it's very interesting though, because we you know, you're obviously running this business that's, you know, growing in complexity and, you know, having to navigate all these challenges and then at the same time trying to feed a relationship and a friendship that is just one of the most meaningful in our lives, which is each other as our friendship. Uh, and that's um it's just been such an a beautiful journey I, I really think that humanities has added to that mix it definitely ran the risk of ruining a, a great friendship but as it's turned out we've we complement each other's skills and we see things from different perspectives but we operate on the same wavelength and so it's it's it, it it's become effortless between us to um, have a conversation where we see things differently um, and for that to be an effortless conversation, even though we don't see things in the same way, because we're just, we're, we're vibrating on the same f- frequency. And I think that's kind of what, I don't really have words for that, but it's just it's just been beautiful to experience. And then to have now more and more people join the humanities team and, and for us all to work together and try our best, um, you know. I think, to be honest, the one of the healthiest things about this is that neither me or Josh can exit humanities. I mean we could leave humanities. <laughs> but I think if we were a for profit company, one of the tensions right now between us would be, ooh, do we want to sell the company <laughs> to, to somebody else who wants to acquire the company? Do we wanna do one of us want to exit that the other one doesn't? You know, these kinds of things. Like everyone's kind of got one ear out and one ear in on, you know <laughs> what we want to do next. Whereas with humanities, there's no you're, no all escape. In. you're all in, <laughs> all in. exactly and, and that's that simplifies things a lot and uh, has, i think benefited us immensely
2: you mentioned the word luck earlier and um yeah do you think the fact that you guys complement each other um was that by design by intention or just was that pure stroke like and then you guys actually operating on the same wavelength because I can imagine, even just myself finding myself somewhat enamored, that, you know, running a business on your own can be well, I wanna say it's pretty hard on my wife <laughs> because she's always taken the bouncing of the ideas off of her. <laughs> um, but yeah, it can be quite challenging running things on your own. Um, but yeah, there's um when you say do you feel like you got Lucky, or do you think it's possible for other people to meet co-founders which actually like obviously you guys have an immense amount of trust amongst each other to be able to even share a salary hand like barely even a handshake just like yep yeah, this is what we're doing great let's get on with it um but yeah do you think it's possible for those that are tuning in to find founders um just some inspiration for the audience yeah um i think
1: it it's definitely by luck that me and Josh complement each other so well and that we, you know, we found each other to set this up. But that being said, I'm a big proponent of positioning yourself for luck and that being the strategy. And that's, I think what we did really well, um, and continue to do and believe in that if you position yourself for luck in as many ways as possible, some of them are going to work out and you then get lucky And then, well, what's the story? The story is, well, we got lucky. But but if you really strip it back, it's It's like... It's
2: really hard to get lucky. (laughs) Totally.
1: Exactly. I'm not sure if there's any backgammon fans of yours on the podcast, but if anyone is interested in the game that really makes this point perfectly, it is the game of backgammon. Because the whole way in which you win the game of backgammon and the way backgammon is played at the highest level is you position yourself to get lucky in the most possible ways so that whatever you roll on the dice, because there's dice involved, is there's, there's 12 different roles that you could have made that got you lucky as opposed to just limiting yourself to one or two roles that would get you a lucky outcome. And that's the whole way you play backgammon. So it's a very fascinating game that is, to me, the perfect analogy for business and life where you're positioning yourself to be lucky in as many ways as possible. And I think that's exactly what happened with me and Josh, where we had the conversations that needed to be had and we wanted to have, we didn't keep it to ourselves. Um, You know, that that would be one way to not position ourselves for luck. You know, I'm I'm feeling a particular way about what I want to be doing with my career, and so is he. We keep that to ourselves. And then luck doesn't happen because you didn't have the conversation. And so having the conversation... um, Engaging with the right people, um, exposing yourself to get lucky is, in my, uh, I, I strongly believe that that is that's the whole that's the whole game, and that's really what's happened with me and Josh. So call it luck, call it strategy, uh, call it's it whatever you want. It's, it's it, a it, mix. It, it's a mix exactly.
2: Have you intentionally gone out of your way to set up some fundamentals between your relationship with Josh? Um, early days to make sure that you guys didn't lose your friendship, destroy your friendship?
1: Yes. Straight what out the gate Yeah, when, when we those? decided, right, I'm leaving my job. We're going to share a salary, but we're like, okay, let's just acknowledge that this could go horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. <laughs> and right. how are we going to manage this? And yeah. we came up with two ideas. The one, which is the most important, is must you must raise things early, And raise things directly to the other person if something is upsetting you or something is not right. Um, If you sit on what's upsetting you for months and months and then, you know, four months down the track say, ah, I'm really really upset at you because, you know, you did this four months ago and, you know, it hasn't sat right with me. That's on me. I needed to have raised that immediately, and that's very difficult to do. And it often can be the hardest for small, petty things—you know, things that are just like, oh, you know what? I, it's not—it's not the best, but you know, I can live with that. It's like raise it, raise it in a nice way, raise it in a loving, caring way, but raise it. And then, most importantly, raise it directly, so that if I am upset with you about something, no matter how small it is, I raise it with you. I don't raise it with somebody else about you because that is just gossip (laughs) Laterally, yeah, yeah 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 and particularly with me and josh where we had common friends so we share the same friendship group because it's not just the two of us that are friends we've also got common friends that is a huge danger where i don't have the courage to raise something directly with josh so instead i go laterally and raise it with one of our common friends about what josh does that know is a bit irritating or is actually a big deal or a small deal and that once that happens trust is eroded everything falls apart and we could not let that happen so we acknowledged and addressed that right from the beginning that we cannot talk sideways we need to talk directly and we need to talk immediately to each other no matter how small the issue is the second thing that we put in place was throughout the journey of humanities Between myself and Josh, there will be ebbs and flows of who is contributing more. And it's unfair and stupid to just take a snapshot at any one moment to say, and say, you know what? I'm doing 75% of the lifting here, and you're only doing 25%. Like, what the hell's going on? You have to acknowledge that assuming there's good faith and we're all trying our best and we're pushing as hard as we can. And we've got this, you know, similar work ethic and we're doing the thing, but you know, there isn't a right work ethic and there isn't a right amount of pushing. You know, it's just, you just have to be on a similar understandable wavelength Um, that over time it will just even out. And even if it doesn't even out, even if it comes out at a 55 45 or a 60 40 split of like, who's done more, who cares? Like we did the thing and it worked. Why mid-pick over feeling like you've lifted slightly more or whatever? Like, it's all good. We're all trying our best. We're all trying to do the thing and just acknowledge that it's going to come in waves of contribution to the project.
2: Wow. I love that. One of the other questions that I've got left hanging in the back of my head is you've got a ticketing business. You set it up in 2016. events. COVID. <laughs> How did you weather the COVID storm? Like, what did you do during that period?
1: Well, it was wild. It was crazy. I, um, I was in America with Josh in March of 2020, oh. planning our US expansion, working out which city we'd be in.
2: Stop talking. <laughs> That's <laughs> Please
1: continue. And at the time, Humanitix Australia is booming. Every month is a new record month. Our platform is phenomenal and improving every week. Event organizers are so enthusiastic about every bit of service they're getting from us. Our social impact is growing because our profits are growing. Wow. And whilst we're there, over the space of three days, our ticket sales went from record ticket sales to zero and then negative because we were handing out more refunds and refunding our booking fees to patrons mm. compared to the amount of ticket sales that we were making. So over the space of three days, the business just completely flatlined. Mm. And we ran back to Sydney. Uh, thankfully, Qantas just was cool and put us on a direct flight home from Dallas. <laughs> we happened to be in Dallas at the time. And then it became a matter of, a lot of soul searching, working with the team um, to provide a lot of comfort and security that we're all going to get through this. Um, Our whole sales team, obviously, there's no one to sell to, so everyone was kind of redirected into working one-on-one, hand-in-hand with our clients, our event organizers, to help them with strategies of um, postponing your event, which there were lots of, using gift cards to say, to customers, hey, like allow the event to keep the money so that they can stay afloat and you'll receive a gift card for a future credit for future events once events open up again after COVID and communication strategies, all this kind of stuff just to help as best we could event organizers watching their livelihoods go up in smoke because it wasn't just us. It was like all of our event mm, organizers.
2: The entire industry around
1: you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, industry. Exactly. It's crazy. Just watching livelihoods go up in smoke is horrendous and doing our best to help. And thankfully, we managed to keep the entire team together um, throughout the whole terrible experience of COVID. And came out of that stronger than we were before, because the team had built, we built scar tissue, we kept everyone together humanities we, we just continue to eat into our, our balance sheet and our savings just to keep the whole thing together which which was a crazy you know move a lot of companies would have just said you know what like which a lot of our competitors did you know we're firing half of our staff and we're you know skinnying down to a skeleton team and everyone's losing their jobs and you know sorry um, we just could not do that and so we didn't do that not with one per- not with a single person. And then we were better for that. Um, and then what was really interesting is as things started to open up again, word spread about how Humanitex worked with event organizers to just do our best to navigate a shit situation. And as it turned out, a lot of um, the other ticketing platforms, you know, they had their legal teams coming in to protect the shareholders to say, you know, all right, we're going to claw back pre-release of funds that we promised. We're going to claw back booking fees. We're not going to do what you know, we said we're going to do. We're going to, oh, you want to do that? No, no, no. Like, so just a lot of 101 bullying, bad business. And it turned out a lot of the other ticketing providers did that, reneging on on, on terms that they contractually agreed on just to say, sorry, like, tough luck. Mm. And and then word spread that Humanitix... It was the opposite experience. And then so as things started to open up again, our business just boomed and flourished even more, which was amazing to experience. But wow, it was a harrowing, harrowing um, few months. Whilst we, you know, we're sitting in lockdown, there's no clear sight on when we're getting out of lockdown and when events are going to be able to start up again. And it's terrifying. We've built this beautiful team, a beautiful company, all this kind of stuff, and to... To lose in that way, you know, I was staying up late at night saying, you know, there's so many ways to lose in business and in whatever you're doing, but not like this, you know, I can't Mm, even leave my, mm. my little apartment, (laughs) like in Sydney, like I just, like, I literally tied to my apartment. I can't leave the industry is totally squashed. And it's because, you know, this once in a hundred year pandemic's happened and everyone's in lockdown, it's like, what? Not like this, just. Anything, but not this. This is just so suffocating, and it was the sensation of feeling suffocated by the by the situation. The scenario was was crazy. But again, that's where having someone like Josh and having somebody else to navigate that with, as opposed to it all being in my own head, I'm immensely grateful for.
2: Mm. You touch on an interesting point there, because as leaders, you're often in this space where you're. You're on the cold face of the storm, if you will, Uh, market forces, business forces, et cetera, et cetera, and your team doesn't necessarily get to feel the brunt of all of that, Um, and that's probably what I mean by cold face. Um, Mental health on that front can be quite challenging. Um, I know even just as an online content creator slash business owner myself, like market forces are just like, well, well, huh? Huh. well okay and sometimes it's great and then sometimes it's like what and it's just even just that up and down can be take quite a toll um how would you say it's been super helpful for your mental health to have a partner in crime i mean partner in charity <laughs> um
1: transformative
2: yeah 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 night
1: and day i uh, yeah i mean it's worked out very well sometimes it it can create a problem because the co-founder relationship doesn't work out so it's a negative thing but in my case I'm immensely grateful that it's been a huge benefit um, both for the humanities but also personally for mental health it's been such a huge asset.
2: And that's you and then so during COVID it seems like through that period because I was going to ask if there was any innovations that came through specifically through that time but at the very least what I heard was your relationships In some grace, thanks to your business model, actually, and probably largely also because of who you guys are, because of the way you set up the business. I don't want to just put all the accolades on the business model, but you guys as well, you know, rolling up your sleeves to support, you know, the event holders. Um, Yeah, you came out somewhat stronger from COVID on the other side, but also thanks to the fact that you didn't have shareholders that you had to increase the bottom line of and try and claw some funds back from
1: yeah exactly i mean like most companies watching that scenario unfold you would have been pressured to fire at least half your staff, and that's just the truth of it and that alone is just mind-blowing horrifying mind-blowing uh and it's just another kind of interesting insight that we've now gained in this journey of what it's like to run a company, particularly a software company mm. at scale without shareholders. And so, you yeah, know, that was, that was really interesting. I, I think, you know, the team coming together and, you know, building out, we were working on our processes and our scale, you know, it was, it was kind of, in some ways a healthy kind of taking stock and, and finding ways in which we run our operations and obviously the engineering team and product team continued to build on the platform, all this kind of stuff to make updates and additions and new features, et cetera. So as things opened up, we'd be in a stronger spot. Like That'll happen. And I think as well, you know, we were able to invest in the infrastructure of the platform much more heavily to build for scale, you know, knowing that the ambition is that we're, you know, in multiple countries all around the planet, um, selling hundreds of thousands, millions of tickets, you know, every whatever day, week. And, you know, are we built for that? And so there was a lot of that work that then got done, um, which you could argue is, you know, was very healthy. But, jeez, I mean, you're you're trying to find the... Trial by fire. <laughs> the, the silver lining in a horrendous yeah. scenario. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah. Which maybe there was some, but, wow, yeah. crazy, crazy uh, <laughs> situation.
2: <laughs> Adam, do you think there's... Um, do you think it is like financially, fiscally possible for every business to be set up this way in the world and for capitalism to still run? Because don't we require investors investing into the stock market, their money to keep these businesses innovating, providing them funds to keep? Have you thought about this? What if every single business in the world operated the way you guys did? Have you given a moment to pause and reflect on that and any thoughts on that?
1: To to cycle capital? Yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's quite complicated in that to answer that question Succinctly and confidently, with a yes or no, I don't think there is a clear yes or no in my mind for that question, because you know businesses having access to capital by way of selling shares and you know raising equity funding is, is a huge source of capital and how capital cycles through the system that then creates more money that then can then be invested in more businesses, et cetera, et etc. Um, so, other than the than the logistical complexities of every business switching to Humanitix's model because of you know how it's not in shareholders' interests, mm. which I think your question is more around it, how, how the system holds together. Mm. Um, question, yeah. yeah, I I've thought about it a lot, and it, it's tough because obviously you would have to take equity fundraising off the table, which leaves you with debt or companies like Humanitix then. Donating profits to um, charities that then do work that then but then you're creating more um, economic activity through the well-being of everyone. Mm. So then there's arguments around well, when you have a more educated population, because in our case we're we're educating disadvantaged kids that then have access to higher skills. Um, affording themselves a lifestyle that is a healthier access to better foods, housing, etc that that then comes at the stimulus of the economy because people are spending more on things like housing and good food and which helps all those industries, whether it be farming and building and you name it. Um, so there's a bunch of layers there as to how this this whole thing can work together but that's why ultimately at the core of this it's asking, you know, just is there a more equitable and wholesome structure to the capitalist model, where you can cycle capital through the system? Like in our case, we're cycling capital via charities and via charitable outcomes for the most disadvantaged people. Is are there ways that, that the cycling of capital can happen in a much more equitable manner, such that the floor through which no one can fall through raises, uh, is 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 heightened as Companies achieve these higher and higher successes, as opposed to the floor staying where it is as companies achieve these these greater and greater heights of success. Um, you know, so there's a few things there that are, that I think are really fascinating to consider, and I don't think it's a matter of you know, I think it's way too early to call it that. You know, yes, every, every company should should become like Humanetics, but it's fascinating stuff, and what's exciting even more so is the more successful we become, the more interesting of a case study it is. So so much of where, what event organizers are are on board for is not just, you know, the donation of our profits to to the immediate impact that we're making. It's what if humanities and, and other companies like humanities are used so much that they become the norm, that the they become these, mm-hmm. these, you know, huge exactly rivaling some of the biggest companies in the world but they're structured totally differently that creates a conversation that is really worth having because it's not just this, these niche smaller examples of success it's it's these huge examples of success and that 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 really changes the conversation more than any keynote presentation more than any idea of you know what capitalism can be it's create some really epic success stories that are proof in the pudding that there it is, there's an alternative. Let's have a discussion about that because it's not a hypothetical what if the world could look like this from a capitalist perspective. Adam,
2: (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to inspire our evolution today. I absolutely love what you're doing in the world as you already know and i'm so inspired for what it means not just on a personal level yes like i think you and josh like i love what you guys have done together um and just how dear your friendship is and just you know you two as co-founders um touchwood there's something really special there and i think you know that wholeheartedly through and through even more than i do um but yeah also just you know to harbor such a beautiful vision for what's possible um and to buck the norm like and kick it right in its face i think is really awesome what you guys have done um and i think it's really like you said inspiring just to sort of feel into what's possible and i love the curiosity the play just the whole vibe that you guys have brought together um through the journey that you guys have brought to your social enterprise like it's absolutely phenomenal and yeah, I think it just is so synonymous to what you know. Just name of the podcast is inspired evolution. There's like total inspiration for what's possible next for us as a collective model for how we do absolutely everything. Because capitalism is baked into the fabric of how we conduct ourselves as a society brother i could just thank you for sharing so much and so insightfully here today but you know there's been the late nights the ups and downs and the are we going to weather this storm and that storm and i'm sure you've given us the highlights but there's probably been parts where you've just looked at josh and gone man what the fuck <laughs> so, <laughs> so having weathered through all of that and you know all of that we get to stand on the shoulders of your entire experience through this life you know to have this informed conversation so just really acknowledging you bro for who you are and the way you've chosen to show up in the world and, and also for showing up here today to share this conversation with us thank you so much
1: Wow, such kind words appreciate it so much
2: and thank you again thank you so much for tuning into this amazing episode of the inspired evolution without you the inspired evolution tribe this podcast would not be what it is today thank you so much for your love and your support thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve it's truly inspiring haven't already done so please subscribe to the inspired evolution on youtube the home of the inspired evolutions video podcast we release inspiring conversations such as this every week along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve honestly your subscription on youtube to the channel helps us out a great deal